Hello, listeners, and thank you for tuning in to the Batuta Advocate Roadshow here on Desert Rock FM. Or if you're a new podcast listener, thank you for downloading our show. show. I'm Errol Parker, and the voice you are about to hear is that of my friend and colleague, Clancy Overell. Yes, hello, and thank you for joining us. We're coming to you live from Koala Mattress Studios here in downtown Batuta. Joining us in the studio today is a young man of southeast Sydney fame. He is a man of reasonably small stature, but you know he can certainly punch well above his weight if he needs to. Not that I would ever want to find out, to be honest. I enjoy the full function of my brain as it is. No, 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 no. Given the fights that he has had in the UFC, I think he can throw hands. He'd probably fuck you up, Errol. He'd probably fuck me up. He would. He'd, he, he would fuck almost, er, almost anyone up, I reckon. He'd punch holes through us like a fucking fibro wall. His name is Richie Vass. He hails from the lovely suburban beachside suburb of Maroubra down in the Harbour City. He's best known for his big wave surfing, his mixed martial arts career, and being a high-profile community member of the iconic Bra Boys. Yeah, Richie's done a fair bit. He's even got his own podcast now, which is actually syndicated nationally by the same people who get our show out to the world each week, the Diamantina Podcast Network. Yes, his show is called The Vast Files, so give it a listen. And thanks to our sponsors, Koala Mattress. You can get 200 bucks off your next mattress or sofa this week with the code word VASFILES. That's V-A-S-F-I-L-E-S, VASFILES. Richie's on the Qantas flight out of here this evening, so we better get him in. We're not going to make him wait any longer. Yeah, you don't want to see this man fire up, I imagine, but I must congratulate our producers for managing to merge the promotion of his podcast and our studio sponsors in the same word. That's Vast Files. <laughs> You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Prominent big wave surfer, <laughs> MMA superstar, well-known uh, community leader from Maroubra in the uh, in the building. Thanks for visiting us in the Western uh, Queensland Channel country. <laughs> Thanks for having us, boys. Mate, what? Uh, so what? brings you all the way up here you know you probably can't get further away from the uh from the seaside than out here in in our desert capital <laughs> yeah um i don't normally go west of anzac parade but no, it's nice to go on a little adventure every now and then and broaden your horizons helping a mate lay some carpet yeah yeah, yeah. well you know, that's what I was, about. I was about to chip in and when you introduced me you know carpet lake and yeah well, that's me um that's my favorite tag is that so? That's your trade. Yeah, mate. Got my trade as a carpet layer. Uh, growing up down the river, like there's so many carpet layers down there. Um, you know, when I was looking for work, one of the older boys just took me on their wing, and it, yeah, it was great. So carpet layers in Maroubra, I guess, are like roofers to the Gold Coast. It's just what everyone does. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like always, if you're looking for a day's work, there's always um, carpet to be laid. So mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of the young fellas got into it. It's good. It's a, I've, uh, I'm I'm glad I did. It's a good trade and it's lots of fun just working with your mates as well. So it makes the day go quick when you're just talking shit, laughing all day. Is it easier to put carpet down or lay it? I mean, or is it easier to rip carpet up? Mate, right. it all depends, mate. It all yeah. like I've done some pretty seedy clubs on Oxford Street where um, <laughs> ripping that old stuff was like it was just stuck to the floor with God knows what, and that yeah, was right. pretty awkward getting up. Much easier to put back down, and then, uh, but yeah, yeah, you got you got other jobs that come up easy and can be a bit tricky to get down. But yeah, it's uh, not a bad trade. So you boys grew up down there that, that were surfing, you know, and were surfing comps. Yep. 
Is that is that kind of ha- you know you're all working together? You've all got jobs which would allow you to fuck off to the beach or go somewhere uh, to to you know to compete. Yeah, well, like when I was sort of in my teens, obviously I, I was just saving pennies. However, I used to pick up golf balls at a driving range, and and then uh, but once we started travelling and chasing big waves, like with Kobe and Mark, they were they were making enough coin out of surfing not not to worry. But myself, Rooster Adams, Evan Fawkes, Evan's another car player. Rooster's a builder. We just um yeah try to. Save as much pennies as we can, then give the boss enough notice. Uh, we know when we, when we wanted to pack the ball bag and dart off chasing waves. So, uh, luckily, like for myself, Carplane really allowed that. Like I said, I, I work with a couple of the older boys from the beach who knew I love surfing. They love to surf, and they were pretty happy for me to, you know, go and chase waves. And as long as I got another little grommet to um to drive the car while I was gone, because I had my peas and my my bosses didn't have their license, so that was just like a little Carplane chauffeur. As long it, was, as I could... it was before they had the interlock in the car; they just couldn't drive at <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> so as long as I could get another people to jump in. And, and show from around well sweet yeah. so where'd you go to chase waves was it around the country or internationally or yeah both I mean when I was sort of my late teens early 20s it was like this slab surfing they call it really, it was really taken off around Oz there's all these new waves being found you know one at Cape Slam that we called ours um, sort of hit around early 2000s before that it was Shipstone's Bluff down at Tasmania which is a phenomenal wave and then waves all throughout Western Australia too it's just waves come out of super deep water and just hit this real shallow reef and just um, jack up out of nowhere and you know they're thicker than they are high and just, just offer, up, offer up some yeah, amazing right. barrels so that was like you know really just taken off in all the rage and magazines loved it the, the surf media just jumped on it so it was great for our surfers because we you know, could get that exposure that kept the sponsors yeah. happy, could pay for the trip. So, uh, but also internationally, you know, it was Tahiti, Hawaii, Fiji, those kind of waves we were trying to chase as well. But uh, it, it was so much fun because you're kind of going on, off into the unknown, looking for waves that haven't been surfed before, or you know, whispers of waves you know, around the corner and that kind of stuff. So it was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've seen some images of those big waves over there in in WA. It's like these big and like these big slabs of water. Yep. What's it like to be dumped by one of those? This body of water the size of a bus is hanging over you and then it's on top of you. Yeah, it's 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 pretty hard to explain. Like if yeah. you, you, it feels like your limbs are getting ripped off and then you get pushed so deep your head feels like it's going to explode too with the pressure. And, and over there, that way of the right in WA, um, the water's dark, it's sharky, and when you're underwater it's just, it's just black and um, you, know, you can feel yourself just getting pushed to the depths of the earth and yeah, it's pretty hard to stay calm and, and which is the main thing in those situations you just got to try and stay calm and preserve your oxygen and not you know not burn through it because there's, there's very little you can do you know you can't fight against that kind of force and um yeah you know yeah so it's, it's like or, or, that. exactly yeah, yeah you know Jesus. see the, the thing with that way it looks like it breaks yeah. in super shallow water but um yeah. it actually pushes you really deep it's like a kind of like a mushroom head of coral that it breaks on so it rolls you off that that reef down and pushes you pretty deep so that's you, a pretty but unique way you do wave. touch the reef you can do it's pretty pretty rare to touch the reef at that wave because yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it looks like it breaks in super shallow water but it's only super, super shallow for a, a moment and then it rolls you off into deep water so like yep. two wave hole downs even three wave hole downs there so you don't get the surface until the next wave hit that's very common at that so, wave so how long is that like a couple of minutes yeah it can be like mate 10 seconds underwater after a wave like that yeah. it feels like an eternity so like if you're under for 30 seconds it, it's crazy like your heart rates for the roof you're drilling before you fall is, is through the roof you know so yeah. try and preserve your your oxygen when you're getting rolled around and you're hoping to make it to the surface so that next wave hits and pushes you back down it's um it, it's pretty intense it's, it's pretty hard to, to describe I fell on one out there and um I was wearing these booties on my feet and they both got blown off my feet it ragged on me so much so um it's like a little, little idea of, of, of the force and um water's going in everything yeah mate yeah. like you know obviously like disco shoulders knees all kinds of injuries happen out there but on the other side, like when waves break in shallow water, like Chopu over in Tahiti or, you know, Cape Fear over here in Botany Bay, uh, look, the 
the dangers of you know coming up unconscious, you know, all yeah. kinds, you know the, what you can imagine would happen getting bounced off shallow reef, and then you got at, at Cape Cape Fear, you've got the um the dry cliffs only sort of a few feet away from where you surf, and so they, every mm-hmm. wave has unique dangers. Um, yeah, but I, I actually prefer to surf in the deeper water waves because I um I think it's if you can stay calm, you, you sort of come out okay. But when you get grinded across the reef, it's not not as uh, hard to stay calm. Yeah, it's quite hard for for us here in the desert to really kind of wrap our heads around why why a man would surf a ginormous wave like that. It, it, do you do it just because of the rush? Really? Yeah. Well, that that's what definitely got me hooked. You now I, I, I'm not like I'm not I'm, I'm shooting bricks out there. It's yeah you know, yeah you're scared. There's that fear factor. It's, it's kind of why you do it as well. It's kind of like why you go on a roller coaster or whatever. You know, you get those little the hairs on the neck stand, standing up. But uh, once I started surfing those waves, then I sort of pushed myself and saw that um, you know if I just put my head down, don't hesitate. You know, you can obviously get the ride of your life, and it gets very addictive. You know, when you do make make those kind of waves yeah um mate you're on a high for months so that that's what gets you hooked and plus you know i was growing up very luckily with uh you know a couple of the best big wave servers in the world who are you know my idols and kobe abbott and mark matthews you know only you know a bit older than me just really took me under their wing and i always followed their path and what they were pursuing and making careers out of and that's what what i wanted to do but it, it, even before i really made a conscious decision that i wanted to try and pursue big big wave surfing as a career like the sort of and Tadley at Maruba was like, you know, you go hard or go home. And there was lots of underground charges. So even growing up, like Osmosis, I just wanted to be in the big stuff, you know, whether yeah. it's probably small man syndrome too. I've always, uh, you know, always said, yeah, I'll get out there. Yeah, before I really thought through you know, exactly yeah. what I was sort of, you know, piping up about. And then I had to sort of follow through. And um, it, it, it's very it's very addictive when you make one of those big waves, you know. Tell us, your family came from landlocked. <laughs> Eastern Europe. Yeah, yeah. My father's from the Czech Republic. Yeah. Yeah. So he, um, you know, he, he came out to Australia uh, in the late 60s as a political refugee. He hadn't spent much time with the surf. No. Nah, no, no. Nah, he um, didn't bring his board with him from the Czech Republic. <laughs> and, and my mum's from Manchester in England. So, yeah, it's um, you know, it's funny. Actually, my mum's sister, my uncle, he's obviously from Manchester as well, but he, he, he was moved to Australian is a surf. He's a surf mad pom who was addicted to surfing in the in the UK. You know, would travel over to Portugal and stuff and surf and yeah. Um, so yeah, he he had always been hooked on surfing. Yeah, so it was in the family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my uncle he was like you know I looked up to him a lot when I was a kid and um and he surfed on the northern beaches of Avalon. They they that's where he sort of relocated to and um yeah surfing was always there. Would be nippers and then, and then obviously surfing um was something that I was just for as long as I can remember is what I wanted to do you know? and dad you know thank God when he made his way out here um, you now as a political refugee he was flying over the coast and he was he was telling me after about 2010s he looked out the window and saw Coogee and you know, the coastline and said you know that's that's where I want to try and aim to live on that you know look, look just look like an awesome place to be and thank God that's where we you know he ended up you now we grew up down at, we had a family home at Little Bay and the closest beach was Maruba so I was very yeah. fortunate yeah. yeah right so tell us a little bit about Maruba in that sense it is kind of a um, um, particularly while you were growing up there like a multicultural hub and and that kind of pales I guess in comparison to a lot of beach suburbs in New South Wales uh, what was going on down there you know you've got Rennie Matua you've got Sutton yeah. you've, got, you've got all walks of life you've got all people from all backgrounds what kind of what what, what it is what is it about Maruba you reckon well yeah it is it's, it's, a, it's a melting pot of all, all kinds of you know, colours creeds eth- eth- ethnicities um, and it 
I know, like I said, I had that mentality down there. We're going hard or going home. And boys who wanted to have a go at anything, whether it be footy, like the boys you just mentioned, um, surfing, whether it be academic, you always got support. But if it was um, you know, going mad on the drink and getting in trouble, you're, yeah, unfortunately, you got support there as well. But Maruba, <laughs> just the way it was, um, you know, how it was surrounded. You know, you got lots of government housing that surround the beach. And then just off the beach, you have suburbs like Hillsdale. And, you know, not further off that was was um, East Lakes, and, and which have very high density of, you know, mm. many, many different ethnic groups so I went to school at River Junction and uh, my best mates were everything from Brazilian to Islander to European to you know whatever you could say it was just um, and that just translated down the beach with the kids with all my mates I grew up with we were just like just a, a, a melting pot of, of different different uh, backgrounds but all just I uh, loved to have fun and um, yeah love where we were from and you know proud where we were from so the um, also the beach you know particularly for areas with um, you know, a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of lot of public housing. The beach kind of provides just a, a ready-made activity as well. Do you find that? You find absolutely. That a lot absolutely. of your mates could have been in a lot more trouble if you'd been a few clicks west, mate. Exactly. Yeah, it's exactly right. I think you know, all young blokes uh, when you go, you got plenty of plenty of energy, and you're yeah. looking for an outlet to. Uh, just release some of that excitement and run around, be be a young bloke, and, and luckily the ocean just provided that that platform for for many of us to uh, go out and have fun, and um, you know it was such a positive in, in many of our lives. Um, yeah, but of course, you know, it, it currently came with just like any other suburb too. There was, there was plenty of um, negative attractions too. Um, yeah, but we we're, were very fortunate to have the ocean as our little playground, and you know running around the beach, being in the surf club, and then just you know even if there was nothing to do we rather than running around throwing eggs and getting into trouble we could find something to do in the ocean it kind of got us into a little less trouble I guess and you, you also learn how to fight yeah look yeah was that was that was that just from on the beach or was that in the gym you had gyms down there <laughs> we did mate it's probably again uh, a little bit of small man syndrome bubbling over but <laughs> at the beach we had like uh, Ronnie Reardon who was you know fought for Australian title as a boxer uh, one of my good mates at my age Kurt Barham also made a uh, pretty successful career as a, as a pro boxer but it was just that actually we all everyone liked to stay fit training was always a big thing down there we, whether it be boxing it was weights you know, running the beach Kobe Abedham you know, when he was out there chasing some of the big waves in the world he, he was a big advocate for staying fit and training and it just spread you know we all just love to stay fit with the boys playing footy um you know so yeah you know, and, and in, as a part of that you know boxing was a big part as well so um you know everyone likes to think they know how to handle themselves if they get into trouble and definitely you um most of the time they do no yeah, yeah well and again you do want to be known as that bloke who runs from a fight as well you get you get pretty bagged if you if you know if she was hit the fan if you I were can the imagine, one yeah so it's just it was just that kind of you know mentality which i said it, it was great in many ways but also um you know taking out of context you know, you know got us in trouble as well but um yeah so that's how we found found you know martial arts and boxing it mm. was the, the the draw card initially mm. and just staying fit you know just training to stay fit for big waves and then obviously um you know brazilian jiu-jitsu found so brazilian jiu-jitsu has a presence down in maruba well yeah like yeah. like i said like you know maruba has a lot of cheaper housing than yeah. it does in, uh, other sort of city beaches whether it be your bondi or whatnot so like, a couple of brazilian boys bruno pano and alex pratz um they came over from brazil and they, and they settled in maruba and, and they were bruno pano was a black belt uh, at the time alex was a purple belt and they just brought that was they surfed as well so we got to know them down the beach i think one of the boys was at the seals club at the gym training alex was there and he and one of the boys asked him about his ears because he had big cauliflower ears and then that's where it started he started you know 
dragged him to the ground, tried to show him a few things, and before they knew it, the boys were like, this bloke just throw these police submissions, you know, bloody arm locks and you know, chokes and all this stuff. So next thing we know, we're all doing it in our surf club, and Bruno started teaching classes, and again, just spread like wildfire. That's a pressure cooker. you got all these little kids that know how to fucking yeah. fight now. Well, the pub, the pub um, you know, in those early stages was... Um, was yeah you had to you had to be on your on your ball on the ball down there because guys were going to sleep at the bar um, you know, every every other day if you, if you weren't watching one of the boys just jumped on your back and you woke up staring at the ceiling wondering what's happened um, so we, we took to the, you know, the rear naked choke and a few of the submissions pretty quick Bruno yeah. who was our, now, our our teacher was running in the pub boys boys you can't do it in the pub it's got to be done in the pub you know do it in the, in, in the academy yeah, yeah so, it's um, all in the secret hole yeah it was pretty classic and you know, for those who didn't know who, who weren't Practicing, presumed just at the time, were just really uh, at, at a deficit because they were the ones just getting pounced on and yeah. put to sleep. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. So from there, you started uh, competing. Was that you, you had your career in surfing, mm-hmm. or was there any point where you're doing to both? Yeah, for, for a while there's a big crossover, but um, again, like I said, I, the reason I sort of got into uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I love combat sports. I love boxing, but I kind of got into it to stay fit, mm-hmm. and, and I really enjoyed doing. But then I just it just again it's got its claws in me and I, I was just addicted to it Bruno was big on and Alex uh, on competing and representing your academy you know, there was like New South Wales Federation Cups that were on like every month or two um, so we were like we trained for like a week and he's like there's one this weekend so I went yep let's all go in and do it I had you know had no idea what we are doing but enjoyed it you know enjoyed that competition and that was something that I I guess uh, has always been um, I guess a factor too I, I just love competing I love learning a skill and then trying to practice it in, on, you know in that competitive arena and um, as soon as I started competing in jiu-jitsu I, I loved it and you know coupled with the fact I love boxing um, uh, Ian Schaefer was a guy who was training down with us who was one of the first big names in Australian MMA he was fighting in Japan and kind of like showed that there was a path to, to take this professionally and um yeah, I, again, I, <laughs> I keep joking about like small mans, but it was something, probably something I just said, yeah, I'll fight MMA. Mm. No? And then I said, oh, okay, well, there's something coming up in a couple of months if you want it. And then I just had to, like, you know, just had to sort of go through it. But um, yeah, I'm glad I did because it was a really positive um, you know, influence in my life, taking fighting seriously because, you know, I was like a lot of young blokes getting on the piss, like getting in a bit of trouble. And it was something that sort of changed my life, curbed my lifestyle uh, when, I, when I decided to take it professionally. But. Yeah, it was a slow burn at the start um, because surfing was my main priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but then opportunities were a little bit bigger and more important. And I, I was like, okay, well, this, I can actually make a, go, a real go of this. As a you know a smaller bloke, were you what kind of um, when you start fighting people from overseas? Who are you usually matched up against? So my first few uh, international opponents were Hawaiians, actually. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So um, and then an American bloke who just had uh, fought in the Ultimate Fighter or tried in the Ultimate Fighter. So. Initially, when I started fighting, I was bouncing around weight classes because yeah. the, the sport was in its infancy. You know, there wasn't a lot of guys by weight competing, and if I wanted to stay active, I had to fight from bantam weight, featherweight, whatever it may be. So I was, yeah, bouncing around weight classes until, yeah, things were more serious. The, the sport really exploded here, and then there's more opportunities, and then again started getting international opponents. So yeah, definitely we're lucky here in Asia. You know, throughout the Asia region, there's a lot of lighter guys. Mm-hmm. So if you want to stay active in our weight classes, you know, there's those opportunities, yeah, uh, yeah. and you can fight for promotions over in Asia as well. So um, bit of money in that, mate. There is, um, like anything, at the top level. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a pretty hard slog to to make money out of it. I. I 
I was always laying carpet on the side. There, there was, a, you know, probably five years, you know, when I f- was leading up to being signed to the UFC, and then when I was in the UFC, that I like sort of I put the tools down and did a day or two there, just you know, when it fit into my training week. But um, yeah, it's a pretty hard slog to to make money out of out of. Uh, mixed martial arts it's getting better now but like I said once you get to the, you know, the upper echelon the top 10s in the world then you can start to sort of live comfortably just yeah. off fighting and get some sponsors who are going to back you financially and I was very fortunate that, that Ruka jumped on board and helped me financially as a sponsor for years so I could I could focus just on my fighting and have to mm. worry about laying carpet to make ends meet but um, yeah the, mate, the money wasn't great um, even when I got to the UFC that the eight, I started fighting it was like uh, 8 grand to fight 8 grand if I won so <laughs> it's not like you know say 16 grand and you pay tax in Australia pay tax where you yeah. uh, fought and you got to pay you know, your training coaches uh, your managers a percent so you don't come home with a lot but yeah, that's right. not why you sort of ever get into the sport no. I, 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 for my 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 story was I never got into it to make money I just I enjoyed learning the skill it was every day was different in the gym because there's so many different components to mixed martial arts and uh, I just love competing and, and challenging myself so that's what drove me I think if you get into it to try and make money um, you sort of get, go home with a sore head pretty quick and yeah, yeah. start looking for other career options <laughs> now aside from the um, of course the, the, the surf club down there and and the um and the Brazilian fighting gym. There's another club you're you're a part of that's uh, quite prominent in the area, uh, the Bra Boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little phil- philanthropic kind of uh, organisation based down there in the yeah. southeast of Sydney. That's a, that's a good, that's a very apt description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were you? Uh, what? Yeah. How did you kind of cut around with those guys? Like were the older boys doing that, or was it kind of your generation that came through it? Yeah, it was a it was the generation before mine, and it was just it was just they were just the boys from the beach, like the. Bronny boys have got their little Bronny boys and their board riders club and all the local surfers. You know, they they're the Bronny boys. Bondi across the headland is they're the Bondi boys and and Maruba, it's the same. It's just um, the local surfers at the beach, people who live there. And um, you know, it was just as a di- bit of a different story that we don't calling ourselves the Bra Boys and you know, early 90s it was that big um, sort of you know, gang mentality that was filtering across from the states you know those you know, yeah. just gangs informed all throughout western Sydney and around you know um, the eastern suburbs and groups were coming down and, and you know, getting into fights at the beach um, you know with, with that mentality so the boys just kind of banded together and said listen we're not going to leave our area but if groups come down here so that was happening people coming down for a fight yeah guys from like Marrickville and yeah. you know sort of the, the surrounding western suburbs um, come down looking for trouble they, they were calling themselves a group or it may be you know uh, even sorry even local like around Lexington Place with a lot of a lot yeah. of housing commission. There was, you know, groups of gangs in there, and so the boys said, "Sweet, well, we're the boys from Maruba. We love this beach. We love where we're from. We're not going to leave our our home and search for trouble. But if, if guys come down here, we'll band together. If you're proud of where you're from and you really, you know, want to stay here and, um, you know, sort of protect the beach, well, I'm going to get it tattooed across my guts and say, yeah. you know, I'm a bra boy.' And, and that just took off. And the boys said, "Yeah, we all did it." Um, Jack Kings, I think, drew up the, the tattoo, and you know, he was him and like. Um, the Abenham brothers, Jai and Sonny, who were just older old than Sonny, and a whole bunch of them said, "Yeah, fuck that, that's it." Because it was, it was really kind of like, um, it's hard to imagine now, but it, it really reached that that point where they're like, you know, it was happening every weekend, and yeah. and um, yeah. So the boys started getting tattooed across their guts or wherever they wanted on their, you know, down their spine, whatever. And um, yeah. they started off as quite small tattoos, yeah. and the boys, uh, you know, <laughs> just just a couple of weeks ago, got some. You know, the young fellas got some that covered their whole chest and their whole back. So it's uh, it's yeah, they're still still happening today, and just for the same reason just proud of where you're from and um, you know love your community love the beach love surfing and um, yeah just love where, where you've grown up so who are your biggest kind of uh, um, 
kind of rivals at the time. Was it the Marrickville boys? Or the- well, you see, like, when this, that was happening, I was only a, a kid, yeah, you know. Yeah. I was just hearing stories down, you know. I was hanging outside the surf shop and here, you know, hear stories. My dad lived at Herald Street, which is like one street back from the beach for a while. And um, and I remember at Dad's house one, one night and I could just hear all sorts of chaos going on out the front. And then I'd be in the surf the next day and hear the boys saying, oh, these, uh, these cunts had the last night come down. Like these, you know, a bunch of islands or something. I think it kicked off in the pub and then it spilled out the pub and then went all the way down the road. And, and um, yeah, but I used to hear, I think, if, I forget the name, what they call them, sort of the Marigville something, I can't remember. There was all kinds of groups, yeah, coming down. And, and um, yeah, I know, I know like a lot of guys... Um, even even more of a local locally had had issues with groups of other blokes who um you know lived lived around Maruba so yeah it was um it was, it was pretty wild times as a kid back then because it felt like Maruba was like kind of the ugly duckling of the, yeah. of the city beaches you, you could get away with anything down there you could there's no consequences to whatever you did there was no there was no videos of the street there was no one had smartphones you know so no it parking was, meters <laughs> no parking meters <laughs> and the pub in the back in the day was wild you know there yeah. were people from going through on motorbikes and hanging from the ceiling nude and it was uh, a very different time and and uh yeah, it was a very exciting place to grow up as a young fella. So to join the Bra Boys, it wasn't like like a golf club where you know you apply online and you've got your references. It's actually but funny you said that. It's, it's exactly how yeah you gotta print off your form. Yeah, you gotta, <laughs> it's um. So how does one if 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 they wanted to? How, it's just from growing up down there, you know, yeah. spending time down there, showing that you know you're a kind of a stand up kind of guy that you're you're a good 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 fella you know and um it's kind of not like you don't sort of not like you ask it's like the boys have got one of my eventually say mate if you want to get one yeah you've you're good to go yeah yeah um, you don't have to walk across coal or cut your palm or something like that and <laughs> blood brothers <laughs> just just swing from uh, pubs nude and yeah. um, <laughs> stick a hose up your bum and do the spit the winkle there's a few criteria you got to tick off but uh no just look just a good bloke who's just grown up down there you know yeah. and knows that one can be relied on for anything um and yeah stand up honest kind of guy and i mean honest into you know towards your mates you know you're not gonna and um yeah like i said it's not like you sort of not so much like you ask it's just you'll just get told you know if, maybe if you want one you, you're good to go and even now when the boys get tatted up there'll be a big sort of word amongst each other so and so i think he's you know he's he's due if he wants one um and i'll just get like you know vouch from all the boys yeah i'm getting everyone's got a, a bone or you know it doesn't fit well they'll, they'll voice their opinion and we'll talk about it and you know that, that'll be it it'll be a, a go ahead or, or not you know like you said there was a lot of stuff going on in sydney and bra boys kind of rose to prominence across the country because of you know you know the big wave riders and the, you had a, you had a few kind of stars big names come out of the beach and that group of guys uh, you had the footy players and you had the filmmakers and yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff um, but you you, uh, you did also make headlines uh, in you know it was a two thousand and four mm-hmm. or two thousand five down there with the Cronulla riots had happened a couple of beaches down um, past yeah. Botany Bay it, like you know it was it was tense things were tense bright in the sands copped a lick. Yep. Um, you guys managed to defuse everything on Maroubra. How, yeah. how did that happen? Because, you know, it looked like that part of the world was about to burn down. Yeah, well, it definitely it did eventually spill over to Maroubra as well. And it was one pretty chaotic night where, um, you know, all those sort of reprisal attacks, because they couldn't get into the you know, some Southern Shire area, they spilled into Maroubra and it was, it was a pretty hectic night. And you could see the way it was heading, you know. It, it was, um, if things weren't to change, it was just 
was just going to kind of get worse and worse. And um, I know a few of the boys had been spent some time in jail with some of the boys who had influence over you know, the young Lebanese community. And uh, basically, that's just what it was. They got to talk and, and just said, "Look, this is out of hand." Because mm-hmm. it, it was a huge media beat up. Yeah. The reason, you know, to kick to start off with, what was happening in Cronulla, you know, it it was an issue for sure. You know what was going on in there, you know, with the, the lifesavers and you know all that kind of stuff. But how it all eventuated with that, you know, that those that day when it was so shameful. I mean, it was only ten years ago recently, wasn't it? We sort yeah. of had the ten years, and it was just to see some of the footage that were happening on there was um, you can't believe that actually happened. But um, for that for then to spill over and like the media said that we're all part of it and we support it and all that kind of stuff was um, a little disappointing and. That's why eventually it spilled over to Maru, but thank God, cooler heads eventually prevailed, and um, you know that, that some of the older boys from the beach, you know, had, had ties to some of the older boys. They've you know? been on holidays with them. Yeah, yeah they've been on a few <laughs> selective holidays. The Goldens are probably, I think, really nice this time of year. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, it was great to see. I guess an area that got criticised for being mugs, and um, you know, nothing but trouble was able to sort of settle something. That you guys been on the lower was. ground, yeah, but. Um, and yeah. you had a, and you had a Brazilian kickboxing gym down there, and everyone knew how to put people to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it was the night that it all spilled over, and all those reprisal attacks came down the beach. It was actually uh, the Brazilian uh, Jiu Jitsu Academy's Christmas party. So um, <laughs> yeah, there was right. boys running around. We had a big Tarasco barbecue, and you know there were the big Tarasco steaks with meat on it. They were all pulled <laughs> out the fire, and you had people running up and down the street chasing people who were. Yeah, it was um, it was a pretty pretty wild night, and. Uh, yeah, half the like you know the boys said it in the documentary, but half the people that were running around trying to protect the beach from all these repulse attacks, I couldn't even speak English, you know. Yeah. So it was, it was pretty pretty wild. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about um, where the, where all the boys are at now, like because you're all obviously tattered up, you're all yeah the, the, the same kind of mob, but you know a lot of people move around, absolutely chase around the world. Where, yeah. where, where was everyone living? Are you all are you all still in the area? Yeah. The majority of us are. Like, we just caught up with Mark Matthews uh, two nights ago. He lives on the Gold Coast now uh, with his wife. Kid Mack, one of my best mates, musician, filmmaker. We're all there. You now, Rennie Matua's over playing footy over uh, in the UK for Toronto Wolves, I think it is. Yeah. Or in Canada, sorry. Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah, but Sato still is down there. Saw him just recently. We are all caught up um, under pretty unfortunate circumstances. Good mate of ours, Ricky Taylor, passed away recently. So there's a big community gathering on Sunday Arvo and got to catch up with a lot of heads I haven't seen in a while. But yeah, we're all still down there. It's like same old, you know, like um, still got the tattoo you know, proudly you know, branded across my stomach and, and this younger crew going up um, still today to get a tattoo down. And we all got together and have a few beers and, and a laugh. It's, a going on. it's definitely settled a lot since the days of the doco. And when that, that came out, it was... Was that a good thing, the doco for the community? What was that? I think at the time, initially, it... Um, I wouldn't say it was, no. It was great to see the doco have the success it did. And it has... Have our story put out there, you know, because leading up the docker, there was so much media coverage. Yeah. And and we obviously weren't aimed. A lot of it was, was justified and, and warranted, but there was so much it was just, you know, skewed and just, yeah, there was nothing but really negative stories coming out. Uh, it was good to just, just have our story out and just show that it's not all, you know, there are some positive stories that we are yeah. trying to do some good down there. So th- that was a positive side of it, but the, I guess the ripple effect on what it had down there, especially on the young blokes, probably wasn't, wasn't a great thing, you know. They... they a lot of the boys sort of, I don't know, the way to get noticed or what it was to be a bra boy was to get in trouble. And, and um, yeah, a lot of the boys took that message the wrong way. And Glorified we're it. Not, we're yeah. not a holiday as well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, now, you know, sort of 10 years removed almost from it, 
the beach is is in as good a place as I've ever seen, um, and that was really you know, exemplified by Sunday by catching up with all walks of life, all age, different demographics um, uh, over unfortunate circumstances. But it was uh, you know the kids down there are they're surfing better than they ever had. They really can, you know the, the borderized clubs are you know doing really well on a national level. It, the emphasis on on getting into trouble and you know getting into fights and all that kind of stuff has um, definitely faded, you know, and it's still. Uh, the support and encouragement to do good in whatever path you choose is there, but it's it's taken in a in in the right context these days, and not not so much in just the madness, you know. Mm. That it used to be because yeah, it was for a while there was all about madness. What are the uh, girls doing through all this? They're just rolling their eyes at you guys out there choking each other out in the pubs. <laughs> if, back in the day, if there had been a, a girl who walked in the pub, it, you w- would have been like. You would have had crickets. The whole place yeah. would have stopped yeah, and yeah. turned us there. So it wasn't like unless you it wasn't had, a place going. Unless you girls. had scary brothers in there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the girls um, know that we like to have fun and and uh, get up the mischief. But look, yeah, definitely back in the days when I was a teenager up there, it wasn't. I never saw the pub or Maruba as a place really to meet girls. There were a few down there, but Bondi and Bronnie seem to have the uh, the lion's share of the women. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> having the cross. Um, do you, any any uh, female surfers come out of the area? Yeah, there are, and, and just in the, in the borderlands clubs now, you've got a mm. women's division that's doing really well. Um, you know, you, you see more and more women in the in the water uh, today um, than, I, than I've seen in ages. So, um, you know, especially the young the young girls are really getting encouraged to get out there and surf, which is great. And women surfing um, on a, as a whole is just on another level. You know, yeah. it's so exciting to watch and and, and what they're doing. So, yeah, there's, there's um, a big sort of female surf community down there as well, and there's even like old, like characters. When I was growing up as a kid, you know, some of the women had bra, bra girls tats, you know, they really? lived them and, and just grew up with all the boys, you know, like yeah. a lot of them grew up in the Lexington Housing Commission and and I just grew up with all the boys and mm. and uh, they were pretty colourful characters and some of them got got the bra <laughs> girls tat as well. So it's um yeah, it's always it's always been a pretty pretty unique spot. Tell us about ours, mm-hmm. the, the surf break. Where's Cape Salander? Is that is that Colonel? Yeah, okay. so on the southern headland of Botany Bay, right. and we're Colonel, we're Captain so Cook. Is that landed. down La Perouse Way, or it's directly across from La Perouse? Right, La Perouse yeah. is kind of on the northern headland, like you know, okay. entrance of Botany Bay, and it's just across the bay on the southern. Okay, and that's headland. a national park, is it? National oh, park, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and then Cape Salander is just just as you head out the bay and sort of head south, it's just the, the next kind of point, and. Um, it was a way, like I said, that the time that um, slab surfing was really taken off around Australia, um, there's a wave there being surfed by a bunch of board riders, uh, bodyboarders, sorry. Esky litters. Uh, esky litters, that's yeah. it. Um, and <laughs> living, I, I grew up at Little Bay, so very close to La Perouse, and we used to run around the golf course, and when you see big swells, you'd always see waves explode across the cliffs, across the bay, and you'd always wonder, like, is there waves over there? And then you know, these urban myths, no, you can't surf, and it breaks, on, you know, breaks on dry rocks. So never really paid much attention until... Um, yeah, again, I think it was like early 2000s. We we're hearing whispers that there is a wave over there, and these bodyboarders have been surfing it. And they published some photos of it, but they flipped the the, the photos. So rather than a right hander, it broke as a left hander. Um, but we're over in WA with Kobe and Mark, and um, we're hanging with some friends who who knew all the bodyboarders over there, and they showed us some footage. And uh, you could tell just by the water and the, cl- the cliffs that uh, it was from somewhere around home. And then again, got more whispers of where it was, and went over there on a, on a swell and found found where the wave was breaking. And I just said it jokingly, said, "Oh, this is ours now," you know, because mm. there was a little bit of tension between our, us and, and the bodyboarders because we all like to surf the same waves. And were yeah. they all Cronulla as well? A lot of them were from Cronulla. <laughs> Cronulla yeah, Cronulla has like you know a lot of, like a lot of 
good reef breaks you know, in a yeah. small kind of area and that those reef breaks really lend themselves to bodyboarding because it's um like i said they jack about jack up out of deep water they're very steep very and they can be hard to make on a surfboard and um the bodyboarders were all over and they're, they're very tight takeoff zone so that's why the tension built you know you're you're fighting over waves and getting on top of each other so yeah when we found out where this wave was at, uh, at cape slander yeah we said um oh it's ours and uh yeah, the surf media just grabbed it and ran with it and it's just sort of <laughs> stuck so now it's called you know uh cape fear Salander, all kinds of names and it's called Pikers Hole way before that you know they used to have body surface surface so it's got quite a history to the actual break but um yeah we sort of realized where it was and I guess early 2000s and um they're trying to be hitting it ever since on all you know it's uh and it's just taken off you know Red Bull Cape Fear comp there recently which um probably got the biggest conditions I've yeah. ever seen like you know, I've never seen a swell <laughs> forecast like that before and for it to coincide uh in the time frame of the contest was, was wild and um yeah it's just an amazing wave. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys would um, get yourselves out there as surfers, you know, pre, pre-internet, um, pre- or, or like infantile internet kind of, you didn't have the YouTubes and stuff, you were on yeah. tapes, you are running tapes, and, and you, like you said, the more exposure you got, the more kind of sponsors would look at you. Yeah. So w- was it about doing shit like that? Was it about finding the scary breaks and, and getting a video of you guys surfing? Yeah. Was that what it- Exactly, you know. It yeah. was about finding something new, um, mm-hmm. unsurf- and it's going to be you know, spectacular, like, you know, Shipstone's Bluff in Tasmania. It's got, like, steps all through the wave, and it breaks in front of, like, a really, you know, spectacular cliff. So it, the, the more sort of hectic and out of control and you know the higher the risk the more that you know exposure that it got and, and pre-internet it was just i remember like looking at the, the weather forecast and i was I, I just remember being told if you see a low with lots of rings around it you know on the that meant there's like waves coming so i'll just look at the forecast if i saw a low sitting off off the east coast i, got, I was that's as oh, these waves coming whether yeah. they're going to be good bad the windy who knows but basically that's how it was and and nowadays, you can see a swell come and get there the night before, surf it. You know, there might be a window of six hours where the wave's going to be good and the wind's going to turn or the swell's going to drop, whatnot. You can just, like, pinpoint those six hours, go there, surf it, go home. Yeah. Back in the day, you'd have to off a whim, book a trip, stay yeah. there for two weeks. Hopefully, a swell shows up, you know, and just hopefully you, you get lucky and score, which, which was pretty cool. A disappointment as well, I imagine. Well, they've been, you know, and even, it's still, <laughs> you still get skunked too, even yeah. with today's forecasting, but, you know, that I, I love the adventure of just not, you know, without the internet going down there, you know, mm. setting up camp for a few weeks and hopefully you score the waves and, um, yeah, it just makes it a lot harder, obviously, to, you know, the, the, the percentage of getting the wave on was a lot less, but the adventure factor was right up there. So you put all of these events and memories in a, a book um, a couple of years back how was that experience having to go back and sort of articulate these things on the page yeah it was it was um pretty fun process you know i sat down and did it with um sean doherty who's a good friend of mine and like a surf journalist and he you know he knows myself and the boys and and the area pretty well so i don't have to regurgitate everything from from scratch yeah so to sit down with him it was a good laugh and it was yeah, it was therapeutic in many ways too you know i um i've always been a sucker for peer pressure always were impressed my mates and when i was telling a story like yeah i kind of realized like i said i mentioned stuff about um you know small man syndrome and that kind of sat back i mean that's probably why i've got into a lot of things i've i've gotten into <laughs> is i you know, just you know always want to try and think i can um hold my own with the, you know the older guys or the bigger guys and and um it's kind of been a, end up being a whole chapter so uh it, it was good and just just from my own family experience the story of my family and, and growing up at maruba and the history of maruba and the, the influence that had on my life um yeah it was a lot of fun and it's sort of that we wrote the book bra boy just you know i don't take life too seriously it was just like a bit of a, a fun read and um yeah the feedback we've, we've had been, has been pretty cool so it was it was a fun process now one thing you bring up in the book was a turning point in your life 
Yeah. And you got into a bit of trouble on the Gold Coast. You know, whatever it was, um, punches were thrown. Yeah. Uh, you you managed to escape conviction. Have you seen many surfers and people that, you know, uh, don't, don't do the stuff you do like really miss out because they get that conviction. They can't. They can't travel. You know. They can't travel to yeah um, different parts of the world to surf and and yeah yeah. Well, that, that's a huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was on the Gold Coast. My trainer Alex Pratt, who um, you know brought Jiu-Jitsu along with Bruno to the beach. He went into mixed martial arts as well. He fought on the Gold Coast that weekend. It just happened to coincide with Mick Fanning winning his world title, uh, his first world title as well. So I mates with Mick and all the boys from from the from Cooley and the Gold Coast. So I thought I'd go there for the weekend. Um, you know, eventually we were out you know, celebrating Mick's win and um, I don't know, won, won too many scooters and was was blind. I ended up getting a, a fight in the pub and uh, spilled outside and, yeah, it turned into a bit of a sort of all-in brawl and um, I had to go back up there to face the consequences of that, you yeah. know, which was... Um, were, you trained, were you trained? You knew how to punch then? To, yeah, well, I, I yeah. had two two fights at the time, oh, so right. I, I had been training and um, but obviously my... Yeah, I look back on the, that whole experience um, and... Uh, be a pretty shameful you know, part of my life where I, I regret a lot of what happened there. I really uh, regret my actions, and, and but in, in, again, I'm very thankful for it happening because it yeah. really did curb my lifestyle, changed yeah. a big turning point in making me realise what I wanted to achieve in life and in which direction I wanted to head. I, I mean, that story has repeated many times, you know, mm. especially down the beach. Not not through that same, you know, getting into a fight, getting into trouble, you know, convicted or just whatever it may be, just getting into trouble through various ways and just losing course of where, you know, what you yeah. want to achieve and, and, you know, you see talent go by the wayside. Um, Kobe Avon, he got into a trouble over in Hawaii, into a fight with a, an off-duty police officer and then <laughs> there he was. Uh, he couldn't travel to Hawaii or the States anymore and that yeah. really affected his big wave, you know, because yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you're limited in what you can do then sponsors don't want to associate with you because it's, it could be seen as negative publicity and then, they, you know, they want you over there in Hawaii and you, they can't have you there so they don't want to... Yeah, you know, it can be very detrimental, and um, you know, and regardless of what sport you're in or what profession, so and and I've seen it just, you know, guys just get caught up in that lifestyle of drinking and partying, and having a good time with the boys, um, and that just, you know, taking them away from you know potential career in, in many areas. So the the, the boys in in Hawaii are just the same as you know, yeah. the boys back home. Absolutely, we are very like we get on really well, all the boys in Hawaii. Um, you now we actually had. Ran a few fifty cuffs amongst each other, uh-huh. and that, that's actually brought us closer. But um, yeah, they love their martial arts, their jiu-jitsu They love their surfing, especially in the big waves. Um, Kobe and the Irons brothers, you know, were like super, super close, um, and that allowed us to go to Hawaii with Kobe and just you know sort of be right in with all the the boys on the North Shore. So yeah, very, very similar in terms of um, you know, what what we love to do. Very proud of, of where we come from, and and. Uh, yeah, it's a very similar kind of yeah mentality almost that they have over there. We did speak to quite a prominent street artist yep. uh, a couple of months ago, and he's obviously spent some time on holiday. Yeah, <laughs> I guess he's had a he's had the handcuffs on a couple of times as as an artist would. Yeah. I'd imagine. There's no S in it, but now it's just fast. So said, if you want to pronounce it correctly, it's like yeah, you've got to get a, a deep European groin and just yeah. say Vatsulik. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, no, Vass is fine. If you've yeah. got any, well, thanks for joining us, Richie. Sometimes that works, but you roll the dice. Don't tell them about it. I guess if it's in the headlines, though, I mean, yeah, exactly. Many silly decisions made on the drink have come out to buy a lot of people, you know, and that. I regret the way 
I behaved and, and everything like especially for the, the guy I ended up clipping who you know was in the monks abroad but said he had nothing to do with it I was very fortunate that ju- the judge saw it for what it was mm, yeah. that we're all a bunch of pissed idiots out there you know in our early 20s carrying on it was that that wake up call that had I've got that conviction I wouldn't have been overseas or you know lost mm. the sponsors really made it much harder for me to pursue a career in mm. mixed martial arts or, or professional surfing so yeah sometimes you need that big kick up the ass to mm. make you realise and make you grow up and, and thank God since then um you know, I haven't sort of repeated those mistakes and, and uh, you know, work with, you know, PCYC groups and, like, uh, youth groups. And um, we do a program called the Back on Track program down at SRG Kickboxing Gym here at Alexandria. And um, yeah, just try and, like, just try to tell your story and hope kids don't, you know, repeat it and go down the same avenue. So you, you've settled now. you got you got a wife and kid and now you're um – you, you, you're still in Maroubra. What, yep. what else is happening? Like, what, what are you working on now? You got podcasting? Yeah, you got the podcast out. It's called The Vast Files. Yeah. You know, I've just started, it's only a few episodes dropped, which is a lot of fun. Just get a you know, wide variety of, of characters you know, across yeah. the table, whether it be fighting, surfing, or, you know, footy, music, whatever it may be. But uh, I was still carpalay by trade, so I still get a few days carpalaying in. Um, I've got my wife and little daughter Grace at home, who's uh, just hit 19 months, which has been a huge um, sort of life changes. Definitely changes your perspective on a lot of things. Uh, but oh, still forget training. the judge, mate. Forget the judge; that'll change things quicker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, yeah, life's good. I'm still training as much as I can. I'm hoping to get a fight in before the end of the year. Yeah. Um, and then it won't. It, it's not the end all and be all anymore. Like I was focused on fighting and. Uh, it's a very selfish sport, just like I guess professional big wave surfing is. You sort of drop everything at the at the whim, and um, right now with a family and stuff, it's not you know it's not as important as it once was. But I'd like to get in there at least one more time and and uh, make that walk. But um, yeah, just enjoying life. Still living down Maroubra with um, all the same mates I grew up with, which is great. The place has changed a lot, but I think it's for the better. And and um, yeah, just just chipping away, working at Fox Sports with our UFC Fight Week, talking all UFC news each week, and uh, yeah. Cruising. Well, thanks for joining us today, uh, Richie. And that's it for the Batuta Advocate Radio Show this week. Thanks for tuning in to Desert Rock FM 96.5. And thank you to Richie Vass for coming all the way up to the Channel Country to talk to us about life in Maroubra. I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other. And my name is Errol Parker. Stay out of the pokies and never, ever, ever, ever talk to the police without a lawyer present.